0: In episode 190 of On Off Topic. Hello there, Brad. What's going on, Andrew? Oh, not much. Just uh, my uh, son was born th- the other day. Actually, like five days ago. Yeah. Which doesn't yeah, he, feel like five days ago. Because he, he was born almost at midnight. So it's really like six days ago. Or uh, cool. four days ago.
1: So his official birthday is?
0: May 2nd. See, I keep wanting to say, I don't know, I got, like, the 5th of May, May being the 5th month, like, it was just stuck in my brain. I keep saying the 5th every time somebody asks me. I'm like, no, that's not right. It's the 2nd.
1: I'm sure you're looking straight. You have, you know, 18 years to learn it before he's an adult, so... It's a good date, 5 to twenty twenty. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. I'm happy he's a um, May baby, because I am also a May baby, so... He's supposed to be an April baby. We were trying to do April, but
0: uh, he was a week late. So, um, yeah, he's all healthy. And if you're somehow listening to this in the future, well, hello to you, Americo, which is his first name. Yes. uh, He's going to go by Marco. There's a tribute to your grandfather. Yeah, his middle name is James. He's tribute to my other grandfather. So my two grandfathers. And then he shares the same initials that my dad and I share. So. Right. All the tools and stuff that are initialed can all be passed on. Because if he didn't have the same initials, then he'd have to buy his own tools. <laughs> this is a valid point.
1: That's uh, that's fair. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm glad you thought ahead. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I I definitely can't use, I can't even hold the tools that I have with my grandfather's name on them because it doesn't match. So nope. that makes sense. Nope. <laughs> Excellent. So, yeah, that's well, the... C- c- congratulations the officially. Thing. I Thank know, you. obviously, yeah. I've already talked to you about it, but we'll do it on the air here. So, congratulations. Yeah. I'm stoked. Obviously, I haven't met him yet because I'm on the other side of the country, and we're in a weird time in our world. So, hopefully, I get to get there at some point before the kid's a year old, because uh, I want to meet him. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll figure out the world and figure out how to get, uh, get around and if we can get around, even if we should be seeing people. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you guys, both you and Stephanie. And, uh, it's going to be a, uh, a life changing yet in a positive way. So.
0: Yeah. So far he's only ridden in the cross track, but, uh,
1: falls right asleep. So I guess that's, uh, accurate. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. We'll see if he falls right asleep when he's bouncing around in the back of the town with no seats. <laughs> Unlikely. let's <laughs> put hey, it in what, what is the old joke? We survived. Yeah. Right. Although Stephanie was
0: careful to pick a baby seat that had provisions for older cars with no latch system. So, <laughs> roll cages? No,
1: but <laughs> back seat of the galant Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, uh, I, I I had a very hard time tying down a modern car seat into an older car when I took a, a friend's son for a ride once. So that's definitely an important, an important thing. Because he's going to be in that for quite a few years now. I think the new regulations say something like the kid has to be six foot three and 200 pounds before they can come out of the car seat. Yeah,
0: probably. Yeah.
1: It's it's actually, whatever the actual number is, it's pretty ridiculous. And mm-hmm. it's like the the average child that is not of car seat size is like, 13 you know and obviously you're not gonna have a 13 year old riding around in his car seat
0: yeah uh and the current baby seat is basically like
1: the uh it looks like a nascar halo seat right yeah they're pretty uh they're pretty intense now i i think back to like i have memories of sitting in my i would call my car seat like the one right afterwards like the booster seat or whatever booster yeah yeah and i remember it was like this flimsy off white yellowy plastic with brown vinyl like wrapped around a sponge.
0: Yeah, mine was like gray plastic with like a lap bar that like went over your lap and like maybe blue vinyl or something.
1: Yeah. But it was the same probably kind of vinyl wrapped around a sponge. Like and yeah, it tore around the edges and you could see the yellow sponge inside. Yeah. So. And they've definitely belts changed over it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The lap belt held it down. <laughs> They weren't, uh, they weren't exactly the, the, the te- te- technology they are today, but the cars weren't either. So there were no airbags to deal with or there were no, most cars didn't have three point harnesses in the back yet either when we were kids. So, oh, oh, well, they had
0: a yeah. Volvo, so I, I do remember sitting in the back of the Volvo, but with no, like I, maybe I had a booster seat or maybe I didn't.
1: Well, they probably put the, the shoulder belt behind you because there's no provision for it in the seat. Yeah, I just remember riding in it. Yeah, because I remember riding in the front of my father's pickup truck that had.
0: But I also remember, yeah, you'd always ride in the front of cars too. It didn't matter.
1: There was no airbag, so it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole yeah. reason to put kids in the back now. So, airbags, good for adults, bad for babies. Yeah, well, it's actually back middle. Oh, is it the middle? Yep. Unless you have multiple children. Yeah. if you had triplets? What are you going to do? Pick your favorite, (laughs) put them in the middle? Yeah, I guess so.
0: (laughs) Although you did ask me the other day that had I had it installed before I went to the hospital. Yes.
1: (laughs) Well, it was funny because I remember, um, again, I never had a newborn baby during these times of clipping, you know, clipping baby seats and stuff. And there's been many times where a customer, when I worked at a body shop, would come and be like, hey, can you help me install my baby seat? Um, and technically you're not supposed to No. Um, so I'd look at it and just be confused and tell them, no, I had a hard time taking them out sometimes. Um, so pro tip, only the parent is supposed to do that. And the only people who are like trained to show you how to do that supposedly are the fire department. Yeah. You can often go to
0: fire departments. They'll have a, uh, it won't, it's not like you don't just roll up to any firehouse. I think you need to check with your local city. They typically have one, uh, fire department officer that is trained to do it. Yeah. And they'll have like, they'll have like days, maybe not now. I don't know what they're doing now, but they'll have days or clinics where you can roll up and they'll attach it. But really it's, it was very, very simple. I mean, you read the instructions. It's, they make it really simple on purpose. Like, Oh yeah. The base goes in, you on the Subaru it's got little uh velcro flaps on the seats that open up and the anchors are there and you just click them they're basically seatbelts with like hooks it's like you know i guess that's the best way to describe them they're like a seatbelt but it's a hook you just hook them in there and then you pull the seatbelt straps that are inside of the base and it just sucks it down to the seat you kind of put your weight on it and pull them up and then that's it it's like Stephanie was like, can you go install this? This was like three weeks ago. And I literally walked back in the house like five minutes later. She's like, that's it? I was like, yeah.
1: (laughs) 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 She goes out of the garage in the trunk. (laughs) (laughs) I opened the door, just hucked it in the back. (laughs) This is where America rides. Actually, at the time, you didn't know it was America because you didn't know it was going to be a girl or boy until the day of birth, correct? That's right. Total surprise. I could barely handle that being your friend. I can't imagine handling that as the Why is it such parents. a big
0: deal? People made a big deal out of it. I'm like, I don't know. It's a 50-50 shot. What <laughs> what difference does it make? Because it is a big deal.
1: Why? I don't know. I would, I don't know. I just feel like it is. I just wanted to know. I wanted to know what things to buy, you guys. We knew from the
0: ultrasound that it was a healthy baby, and that's all we cared. We didn't matter who it was, <laughs> what it was going to be when it came out. Just that oh. it was a healthy human baby. That's it.
1: Well, Success. And we got you a car book for uh, your baby shower anyway, because we figured regardless of the gender of the child, uh, it doesn't matter because it's going to be indoctrinated with automobiles. So sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, I got to find that so I can, uh, even though they're five days old, I'll start reading to them.
1: Yes. Give him paper books now. Th- that will end well for everybody involved. <laughs> no age All requirement right. there. Anyway, congratulations. We've wasted Thank you. 10 minutes talking about your son. So that will be uh, 10 minutes wasted. And for the entire future, we talk about it all the time, every time. Because that's just life now. Yep. I don't mean wasted. That's probably the wrong word. But you know what I mean. <laughs> 10 minutes of non-car talk.
0: All right. all right. Well, we spent a bunch of time today on car talk uh, because on – Instagram, it was advertised by Race Service, which yep. is sort of a, um, I guess they're like a marketing PR. Firm. I, I'd call them an automotive motorsports marketing company. Um, but they do really cool, edgy, trendy stuff out of LA, of course. Um, follow them. I do follow them on Instagram because I like the stuff that they do. I like the way their shop looks. I like all the cars that they come up with. Just fits my ideal aesthetic. I like it. Um, I've heard podcasts with the the founders on there. They seem like really nice people, really into cars for the right reasons. Uh, but, anyways, it was uh, they did this like Zoom conference. Currently, my favorite Zoom meeting so far of all of this.
1: Yeah, um, it's not hard to be the favorite. All you do is talk but, about cars once.
0: Yeah. So they had a couple different panels. It was what like three or four hours long.
1: Yeah, it went from um, nine to one. Yeah, Pacific and I don't time. 9 01 Pacific so, time. Yeah.
0: So for me, it was like 12 to 4. Um, but the first panel was what? It was remote strategies or. Rem-
1: uh, it was basically about. I got, I got into
0: it late. Yeah, it was
1: basically. Uh, was, it, it started out um, with uh, Rod Chong, who is yep. a part of Ray Service. Uh, and he also is one of the co founders of um, Speed Hunters.
0: Oh, right. Um, so I knew so many of the names. Well, you know, it was good to put some faces lot, to them A too. lot
1: of the names are people that we've been, um, I don't want to say following, but following, I guess, for years. As far as automotive car culture goes, this is this is our generation of automotive car culture. They're this, the tastemakers. Yeah, this isn't, um, you know the the old hat, the the dinosaurs of the industry that just had to do the same thing all the time. This is this is our, you know, I'd I say the what would you say the 30 to 50 age range <laughs> probably at this point um, which is kind of our general group of people um, so it's really neat to see us represented more than we used to be so all the people involved or most of the people involved there's some that were younger maybe some that were older uh, most people involved are people in that kind of in that wheelhouse of what we're into they got they grew up with cars in the 80s so the um, uh, nostalgia factor for them goes back to the '80s, you know, when cars from the '70s were just old used cars. Uh, cars in the '60s were just starting to become antiques. Um, so they kind of have the same appreciation for vehicles that we have in our our era. So Raj Chong was the the host of the the event, um, and one of the big things it was about was that he's bringing up was car culture and who is a participant in car culture. Because that's always been kind of a thing where it's always been like, Hey, if you don't wrench in your own car and build your own car, you're not a car guy. And that was one of the important points that he brought up early in the discussion was he wanted to talk about like who participates in car culture. Car culture started in Southern California, essentially with hot rodders, you know, after the war. So back then, your car culture was limited to drag racing, wrenching, and cruising up and down like your downtown boulevards. And that's where that old kind of attitude of, if you don't build your own car, you're not a car guy. It kind of comes from that era, you know, if you think about where hot rodding began. Um, So it was really neat to have him bring up these other things. He's like, listen, he goes... If you're into cars in any way, shape, or form, you don't have to build a car. You can buy a built car. You can buy a brand new car. You can look at a car from far away. You can read about cars. You can write about cars. You can host a podcast about cars. He's like, you can collect Hot Wheels cars. You can collect scale cars of any kind. You can build model cars. You can make um, digital renders of cars on computers. If you do any of those things, you're an active participant in current modern car culture. If you do anything at all that has anything to do with cars and any kind of taste or trend or just being involved with cars in any kind of way, shape, or form, that you are involved in modern car culture. And I thought that was kind of interesting, and it's a position I've never really heard before. I hear a lot of people just, they'll, they'll talk about each in every subset and subculture as either not the same or not as important or, you know, some car people say, well, why would you collect Hot Wheels cars as an adult? Why would you build model cars as an adult? Why would you be into RC cars as an adult? Why would you not build your own car? But it's just, everybody has to take away from it what they want to take away from it and do what they enjoy. And that's how car culture survives. And that's how car culture becomes, the next phase of what it is and doesn't get lost to people not caring about cars anymore by being, by being being open to everything and having everybody kind of mesh together. And that's kind of what he he was brought this whole thing about today because, you know, cars are obviously a very social thing. You know, a lot of what we do is surrounded by people in gatherings and groups (laughs) And right now, it's obviously hard to continue that that trend, that process, because we're all staying home. We're all not going anywhere. Um, I don't want to make this into a, a lecture about going out or staying home or whatever, country open, country close, but it's just a fact of life right now. It's not a thing that can be celebrated as a group. So a lot of the discussion was, how do we bring all these people together, all these groups together? How do you stay relevant and how do you stay active? in a car culture where you can't go out and do things together with cars. So that's, that's where a lot of it started. Yeah. And
0: you know, that's a good tie in part of this podcast that we try to include as many different types of car culture as possible, or be open to experiencing or talking about other versions of it that are not the type of things that we normally do. Oh, percent But are still a valid way to enjoy cars. Yeah. You know, like I've said, I'm not super into detailing cars, but like for some people, that's how they enjoy their car, is that they just clean it every weekend.
1: Yeah. And one of the one of the presenters at this um you know conference this morning was um uh Stephanie DeAndre. De- DeAndre? De, De- I believe so, yeah. Yeah, uh, who works for McGuire's. And because one of the discussions they were having was, how do you pivot to having people still be engaged with your company, your products, your, you know, as a little industry inside kind of stuff, which is interesting to me because, you know, we might not be a a, a for profit podcast here at the moment, at least. Um, But it's kind of neat to hear industry inside from people who make their day job and make their living in car culture. Um, and one of the things that there was they talked about and she was bringing up McGuire's was how do you pivot to remote engagement instead of going to car shows and and teaching people in person and showing your product and giving them samples? And, you know, how do you get the people to still like and be involved with your products or your services or your shows or whatever it is you're doing while not actually actively going out and doing things with them?
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm interested in marketing in general because I've done yeah. it for different jobs I've had here and there. So, uh, hearing about the way people do it, maybe it's kind of boring to other people, but to me it's, it's interesting. So that's oh, one And, and marketing is
1: important to both of us because we yeah. have, we have a product to sell here. Like, you know, we, I say sell, but we have a product to get out and push and, and make desirable and accessible to people. So Marketing plays a huge role in that. And you know, we're not a, a for profit but we're also not not for profit. So it's uh it's interesting to see other people's perspective on that. So a lot of things that they were talking about. So the first panel was um Danny Carnahe from Hot Wheels, uh Art Cervantes from Radwood and Driving Well Awesome, uh Jared DeAnda, uh who actually is a drifter, I think. I'm not sure exactly.
0: Yeah, I didn't know. I wasn't familiar with him.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, he's from, he's, a, he's a professional drifter from Formula Drift. Uh, and Jacob Agajanian, who works and helped found race service, but who's been in the industry in marketing, his whole family has since the beginning of motorsports. You know, they they pretty much... If, if it's a motorsport you like and you see it on TV, you probably thank the Agajanians for for getting into the mainstream. That's just who they are. Um so it's interesting to have all those industry people kind of bringing their own take to things, um, and and talking about how they have active community engagement with um, their, their 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 users, their fans, their whoever it is. Uh, one of the big things that was was talked about a lot was uh, UGC, which is user generated content. Uh, yeah, it was really neat to see where the different companies have. Um, how they work with that. Like not to say they want free content from their users, but they want engagement from their users and their fans. So one way to do that is to actively have something that they, or their fans can participate in. Uh, one of the things that Art was talking about was we did about a month ago, the um, hashtag V Redwood for, yep. for virtual Redwood. Um, and they're going to do another one the end of this month, actually. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, and then once that one's over, they're going to start shifting to, They're going to do more specific ones because they're talking about how you have this user-generated content, this user experience where people can do things with you. And the problem is, do you have enough activity to keep people doing it time and time and time again? Because Mm -hmm. when you have a Radwood show, you have a Radwood show in Boston. You have a Radwood show in Philly. You have a Radwood show in Austin, Texas and San Francisco. And you have different users go to each one. But when you have something on the internet, everybody can do it. How do you differentiate from event to event?
0: Yeah. So there's different strategies that. Yeah. I don't want to go through the whole thing. Um, but yeah, it was, there was different panels. That one was an interesting panel. Yep. There's one on uh, streaming um, because a lot of people are doing more live streaming because right. they're at home. They're in their garages, especially if they already had a, a large YouTube following. Yep. People get into doing live videos.
1: Well, that's, uh, that's where people like YouTubers and podcasters like us are at a little bit of an advantage right now because we already give something that's not necessary to have active, like, in-person contact with.
0: Yeah, our stuff goes right to your phone, and it already exists. So. Right. Um, there's another one that was interesting, a whole panel on sim racing. Mm-hmm. And basically the main takeaway was that they – Pretty much all felt that sim racing is is here to stay in one way or another. It's been building, and building, and building, and this kind of this crisis kind of pushed it right to the forefront. Whether you know, um, what was the pro driver's name?
1: Uh, Joseph Newgarden, the yes. IndyCar driver, uh, or, yeah. or, JR, or J.R. Hildebrand, the IndyCar driver. There were two IndyCar drivers.
0: Uh, I'm, Mo- I forget who the moderator. Who was the moderator?
1: The- was JR Hildebrand? Okay, J- the J- other guy. J.R. J- 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 Hildebrand.
0: I'm not familiar too much with IndyCar, but basically I believe uh, Joseph Newgarden was saying that he was sort of interested in sim racing, but was never really that deep into it because he could just do real racing. So, And he said that there are a number of IndyCar drivers who are very much into sim racing, just like the NASCAR drivers. are like super into it. There are other guys that aren't that into it. There are other guys that don't care. But when all racing was taken away, They had to come up to speed real fast because they wanted to do something. So uh, and basically their main takeaway is that it's here to stay. It's been building and building and building for the last 10 to 15 years. It's likely that um, possible sim racing will will somehow become part of actual championships. There might be like some sim racing rounds thrown in. Yeah. You know, either as actual. Single rounds or maybe there'll be exhibition races, maybe in the off season now.
1: That's kind of interesting because it, it apparently. One of the things was interesting that Joseph Newgarden was talking about was the older drivers versus the younger drivers. Uh, yeah. And how he is on the cusp where he grew up with video games uh, right. and grew up playing Forza and Gran Turismo and everything. So he had the a little bit of experience with it. But once he became a pro, a pro racing driver or his way up to being a pro racing driver, he was just concentrating on seat time, seat time, seat time in you know, actual cars. Um, but he's talking about the difference between the older drivers and the younger drivers is that you could see an older driver that's been doing nothing but actual physical racing races a lot more with seats, by the seat of their pants. They feel the car. They know what's going on. Um, whereas the younger drivers that grew up with Sims, they drive a lot more with their eyes. He's like, and that's the hardest thing to have to go to the SIM racing is the guys that didn't grow up driving SIMs. They don't have that G force replicated. And that's a big part of their racing. Whereas the guys that learn to do the whole thing, just with their eyes are better. Obviously the SIM racing, cause they've been doing it longer and it's harder yep. to train somebody to get out of a car and drive in a SIM than it is to get out of a SIM and drive a car. Right. That was kind of interesting. Uh, I mean, we'll talk about that later.
0: Yeah, I'm running into that myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: And then who's the rally driver they were talking about who's been jumping in? Um, oh, I must have missed it. One of the Finnish names. But they were talking about how he... Oh, Solberg? Into, well, Solberg's been jumping Solberg? into... Uh, Solberg? I think it was Solberg, yeah. How oh, he's been jumping yeah, into a running. lot of these sim, these sim leagues, and it's funny watching him do it because he can't drive the arcade game cars or the the simulation cars from any kind of an in-car cockpit because he can't see the back of the car. and Because he can't see the back of the car and he can't feel the back of the car. He always drives from a third-person view, which goes against every like sim racing rule. <laughs> but he's gotten pretty good at doing it by looking at the outside of the car so you can see oh, the back that of the car. yeah
0: Because there was a social media post of, because they're doing the Solberg Cup okay and there's a video of him driving dirt 2 2.0 and mm-hmm. he's doing it from third person
1: and you're like, what? Yeah. But again, that goes right to the older driver versus younger driver. He's been driving physical cars for a long period of time and was doing it before he ever touched a SIM. And a big part of driving the car to him is feeling what the car is doing. And if he can't feel what the car is doing, he needs to see what the car is doing. So it's kind of funny because, you know, you and I grew up playing Gran Turismo and we would make fun of each other if we tried to drive from the outside view, because that was for casual gamers (laughs) Right. So, But if Solberg does it, then I guess it's okay. I, I can't drive a car in a game like that, but that's just me. But yeah, it, was, it was very interesting. And I think the last panel was um, about creating content. Um, and that was moderated by Ryan from Race Service, Ryan Davis. Uh, and it was Larry Chen, who we all know is a photographer, does a lot of stuff on Speed Hunters, a lot of stuff for Hoonigan. Uh, Colette Davis, who is a... YouTuber slash automotive um, professional race car driver. She was in Red Bull Rallycross for a while, I guess. I was unfamiliar with her until yesterday. Yeah. Uh, TJ Hunt, who is also a YouTuber. And uh, Chris Petru Petruccio. He runs uh, Crispy Media, which is – I hesitate to call him uh, a YouTuber because he's more of a, a filmmaker. Uh, he doesn't do like blog style. He does actual like very overproduced, well-produced um, car show coverage and event coverage.
0: I've never seen his stuff. I'll have to watch it.
1: It's or maybe it's, I haven't. I didn't realize it. Well, it's not really our style of car. He goes to a lot of Stancy and drift kind of events, um, but watching the actual film of them is is really good because it's it's very well done. It's a lot of slow slow motion like roller shots and. You know, right. car, car to car panning shots, all that kind of stuff. But it's all done very, very high quality stuff. So, if you can find one that's got some kind of cars in it that really interest you, I, I recommend it because it's it makes some good stuff. But that was that was pretty neat. That was as you would expect talking about creating content in the current environment that we're in, which is obviously a little more difficult because there's no events to go to. Mm. So they were talking about uh, just shooting things you have and and. You know, kind of the the whole adage of the photographer is always the best camera is the camera at hand. And the best subject is the subject at hand. You know, one of the things Larry Chen kept talking about was, you know, yeah, you want to shoot that custom car, that race car. But at the end of the day, the, the, the gigs that pay the bills are OEM manufacturers. So go outside and shoot pictures of that minivan and make them interesting. Yep. So that was, that was very interesting, but overall it was a really neat, it was a really neat piece because, you know, I just put it on the background, while I was working and listened to where I could and it was, it was just neat to get insight from a lot of, you know, heavy hitters in, in the, in the industry of, you know, content generation nowadays. So it's neat to see other people's perspective on things when you're kind of stuck in your own ways, you know? Yeah
0: certainly um it got me pretty amped
1: it got me pretty amped to do uh some more content ourselves so
0: yeah and i think i i was just thinking that i went to do an instagram post of an older photo because i was inspired but i don't think i ever actually hit post on it i think i got distracted yeah i did not baby must have been
1: crying i did not see you posting today but we will give you the we'll give you an excuse because you have a five-day old uh, baby in the house
0: I'll uh, try to do it tomorrow.
1: Oh, one more takeaway from that whole thing that I heard one of the guys say—it may have been Larry Chen—was um, the fact that there's so much content out there, and mm-hmm. and most of it is garbage. And they were talking about how do you get noticed? How do you become like a Larry Chen? How do you become uh, Crispy Media? How do you become any of these things? And the thing he said was, "Well, the cream always rises to the top. So if you make yeah, garbage, you're gonna." If if your content is garbage, you're going to be destined to stay in mediocrity and nobody's going to know who you are. So just always improve and always get better. So I thought that was a, a neat takeaway. You know, it's common sense, but at the same time, it's something that you need to hear once in a while. So I dig it.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was really cool. Um, other fun things that happened on the internet today. Uh, Gail Banks, old man reaction video. Oh man, <laughs> so that was, was great. Video. <laughs> uh, so Gail Banks obviously runs uh, Banks power. He basically like invented, he didn't really invent like the turbocharger, but kind of pioneered a lot of turbocharging and supercharging and diesel performance. Gail Banks
1: made the turbocharger a viable power source. Yeah,
0: oxygen sensor. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He made it viable for manufacturers. He worked with a lot of the OEMs back in the early turbo days in the in the early yeah. 80s. I think he worked with Ford during the, the development of Thunderbird Turbo and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And he's very legendary.
0: Yeah, SoCal Hot Rodder and uh, all that good stuff. So he pretty much watched. Um, I guess I don't watch a lot of Hoonigan. I watch. I like their um, like their like quick things they do and their. Do they change like warehouses that they're at? Yeah. You said that small yard.
1: Well, they have nice. they, they have a, a specific place now to go do burnouts and donuts because the neighborhood was complaining about the tire smoke and noise. Okay. So they have a spice yeah. at Irwindale Speedway now where they do stuff. All right, cool.
0: But anyways, that those are the videos I, I usually liked the most where they just kind of look at somebody's build and go over it real quick with them. Yep. And make them do a burnout. Like that's pretty cool. I yep. enjoy that. But anyway, I guess they're trying to build some land speed record fifth gen Camaro yep. using a Cummins diesel with compound turbo setup. Mm-hmm. And, um, basically they just, did, they just didn't, or they don't understand how to build a diesel. Apparently right? I didn't find the right people to help them build this diesel.
1: Yeah. I felt a little bad for the, for the Hoonigan guys in this case, because they're not diesel guys. The guy, Dan, who is their lead fabricator is actually pretty good. Usually, um, but I think that they, they they sought advice and got it from the wrong people, because even as Gail Banks was watching the video of them dyno tuning this thing, he was mentioning the names of the people that were involved. Now he hasn't seen them for years or hasn't worked with them in years, and used to work with them here. Or so they 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 sought advice, and I think unfortunately they got it from the wrong people. So, but yeah, I guess people were just like
0: tagging him all over the place gail banks about this video so he's like oh i guess i'll do a reaction video yeah which is like such a like modern internet youtube thing to do uh to like it's such like a crutch to make content where you take somebody else's video so you do a reaction video to it Yeah, like when a movie comes out you do a reaction video to the trailer it's
1: like yeah there's a lot there's a lot to to, to music videos
0: it's like weird self-eating snake of youtube yeah um but yeah, but it's pretty funny. It, you'll probably run across it on Facebook, so uh, give it a watch. Um,
1: it's very entertaining, and, and there are a few things that you watch and you're like, even I know, and I'm not a diesel tuner by any means, but I know that's not how that's supposed to work. <laughs> like yeah, so I, I, that's why I feel bad a little bit for the tuning guys because I think they just they put all their all their trust in the wrong place. Well, his biggest pet peeve, Gil Banks, is that uh,
0: Roland Cole is just wasting fuel. He's like, you're not making more power. He's like, that's raw fuel right? that's going out of the engine that's not being burned. That's potential power that you're leaving behind just to make it look, quote unquote, cool.
1: Right. And that was one of his biggest takeaways from watching them dino doing this thing was, A, there was no exhaust routing in the dino room, which was weird. So the dining room was just literally fill, filling up with black smoke. And they were making a bunch of power. And then they are like, well, we want to make some more power. We should add some more fuel. And Gilbanks is watching like, what? <laughs> There's so much unburned fuel already in an engine. Why are we adding more fuel? So it was, it was pretty funny to watch his, his pretty natural reaction to things. So I dug it. It was fun. It's fun to watch. Somebody who knows what they're doing. Critiquing somebody who has no idea what they're doing. Yep. So especially when the people involved with that were... Touting themselves as experts, so yeah, true. But again, and like I said, I feel bad for the Hoonigan guys because I could see myself going to some diesel tuner and being like, "Hey, I don't know the first thing about diesel tuning. You work for a company called Something Diesel. Can you show me how to do this?" And yeah, then exactly. Who am I to discredit this man who I or this person that I asked? You know, hey, I asked you for advice. You gave it to me. I'm not gonna say you're wrong I was told you're an expert so if I have another expert watched he says you're wrong and then he comes out and I, I bet what's going to happen now is I bet there's going to be a future video of Banks and the Hoonkin guys together hopefully yeah because I know that Gail Banks has a lot of connections with the same SoCal crowd that the Hoonkin guys are in so I'm sure that there'll be a uh, a on Tune session at Gail Banks shop which would probably be very entertaining to watch yeah. I, I do enjoy Hoonigan videos and I know that's kind of uh, an in thing right now to make fun of them um, just because they're a little brash, a little over the top. But they're no more so than actually less so than a lot of the YouTube content that's out there. Uh, and generally they, they have fun with cars, which is all I really care about anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I just want to have fun with cars. I don't want to take anything too seriously. I want to just enjoy myself with them. And that's kind of the Hoonigan mantra.
0: Oh, that reminds me. So about YouTube videos. Before we get too far, there was a Larry Chen autofocus video on your acquaintance's uh, Lancer or Colt. Yeah, Dennis know right? Yeah, that was that. Is that a recent video or is that was that reposted? No, it just, I don't think it just I came out. It. it just
1: came out last week. Actually, I meant oh, to. I, I meant to repost it to our Facebook page. I'll probably do that tomorrow okay. morning. Just to okay. so be out there. Um, I'm always stoked to see Colt Lancer content or Colt anything content because it doesn't exist. So yeah, his car is super super rad. It's really nice. It's really really nice. Actually, um, I've talked to him about building me that header that he has for that car. Oh, cool! Once I have you know the car to the level I want it to be at, it may yeah. wind up going to California and going through the shop and having a couple of things like that built. So nice. Yeah, would really be pretty neat. So I, I think my big takeaway from that video was it was really neat watching somebody like Larry Chen driving his car. Yeah. And talking about, you know, you can just flat out flat foot this thing everywhere. You know, it doesn't make a ton of power, but it makes all cool noises, and it's fun to drive, and it's entertaining. And he was smiling the whole time, like, this car's a blast. And I was like, yes, that's exactly why I drive them. (laughs) They're really fun little cars to drive. They get a lot of, they have no notoriety, not bad or good. Nobody knows what they are. And people question why I drive it. And to watch somebody who's never driven one get behind the wheel and just be clearly having a good time just kind of like solidifies like, yeah, that's what's neat about these cars. They're fun little crap cans to drive. Oh, and speaking of Colt watch, what about that rally car? Yeah, that's a sore spot for both of us right now. Yeah. That's a sore spot for everybody in the Colt community right now because I don't know where that car went. Uh, Yeah. a, A bit of a market watch, I guess. There was a period built colt rally car um it was written uh, driven by team Harco, who was a team that did pretty much exclusively colt rally cars throughout the 70s and 80s i think something harvey is the guy's name i don't remember his first name unfortunately um it seems that he passed away and his estate was sold mm-hmm. um and this is a a pike's peak veteran 1971 dodge colt rally car in yeah, like and, uh, mint shape, like not running because I'm sitting for a while, but in mint shape with all the period correct speed parts, um, just the car that you or I want with spares and
0: yeah. car. You sent me the listing. Car was on eBay, so the seller knew what it was. Yep,
1: they knew what it was. Uh, they knew the history of Team Harco. They knew that it was, it it was ran, listed like a couple speak.
0: different places, and it went for some like. Really bargain basement
1: number. Like $985. Like,
0: like painfully cheap number.
1: Yeah, and I don't know how it got past me or uh, I'm part of a like a group chat on Facebook with pretty much every cult enthusiast in the country. Um, and none of us knew it was for sale. And we usually share for sale cult links every other day. So it was hard to see something like that go by for so cheap when it should have gone to one of us. <laughs> it, it's not the Volvo 142 I was looking for, but I would have bought it hundred percent. And if you hadn't, I would have, I mean, I'm in the process of, you know, we're in the process of buying a house right now. And I could have scrambled together enough cash to buy this car because it was so cheap. Uh, the funny thing is the only reason we even knew it was, was existed at, at its current state was one of the cult enthusiasts. Um, Nate Smith, who I actually bought the Eclipse from, saw it on a transport truck in Alabama. And he was like, whoa, there's a Colt in that truck. And it's the race car that I know about. And then it prompted him to dig a little deeper and find out what happened. And he found the eBay auction, which was like from the week prior. And he dug into it and he called the, he got contact contacted the seller. Um, and this was on like Monday or Tuesday. And the seller said, yeah, it just sold. It got picked up on Saturday and it's going somewhere. So he doesn't know where or why or how, but I'd, I'd like to find out where, um, it was sold in California and he saw it in Alabama. So it's on the East coast somewhere. Um, I don't know where on the East coast it's going. I'm hoping it's not going to Florida to become a drag car, but yeah, I don't that's know. weird. I don't know what's happening with it. I, I hope it turns up somewhere good. I hope it turns up in the hands of the right person. Um, I know that there's no, I think he's in Indiana, so that won't work. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where it's going. I'm sad we missed it. One of those like regrets we'll have for a while of not noticing it was for sale, I guess. Yeah. But it's funny because I've been so, you've been so wrapped up in the baby stuff and I've been so wrapped up in the buying the house stuff that I haven't been looking at cars for sale. That's probably part of the reason I missed it.
0: I don't have alerts for Colts on eBay
1: because you don't
0: get any valid hits really enough yeah. to make it worth it
1: well maybe we should <laughs>
0: um, it's mostly just junk that you get come through your email yeah, It winds up
1: being like 1994 Colts
0: if they even go on eBay so yeah it's that's a super bummer but all right um, a anyways, so <laughs> sim racing um, we were talking about earlier I I believe I talked about it last week or last episode that uh, the shifter for my G920 is it's, it's it's an H pattern six speed H pattern feels pretty good. There is a 3D printed upgrade to add an actual shifter gate to it for like around thirty bucks shipped, and it comes with an extra plate so you can convert. Uh, it'll make third to fourth a handbrake if you wanted to play dirt rally with the paddles and then use the handbrake but for the older cars it's mapped so that you can actually it will make you use the shifter the floor shifter quote unquote but so it was kind of tricky to hit shifts sometimes you'd miss them um so i got it came from a company called 3d wrapped in italy um i was surprised it shipped so quickly because they actually had a little note that they might be delayed because they were 3d printing ppe but apparently had these in stock, so they're able to ship it, so I was kind of happy to s- spend some money in Italy, help them out. Yeah, they
1: certainly can um, use it right now. Help, help a small business halfway around the world.
0: Um, and it took like 10 minutes to install. It's You just screw it together, and it's got like a little extra gate and support, and it makes it a little bit tighter. It actually feels to me like a nice rear-wheel drive car shifter that's directing the transmission now. Like... That's the best way to describe it. It went from being like a sort of floppy front-wheel drive shifter, I guess, on cables, to a shifter that feels like it's in the transmission. That's
1: cool. If that makes sense, it does. That would feel. It went from feeling vague to feeling positive. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, Still haven't made the game any better.
0: Forza, no. Dirt, awesome. Uh, We still haven't nailed the right settings for Forza. I get more research doing that. In fact, that was funny. We were playing Forza to like midnight on last Friday night. And I was like, it's kind of late. I should go to bed. And then I'm in bed. And my wife wakes me up at four in the morning. I think I'm going to labor. I'm like, uh, okay. Because we were supposed to be induced on Sunday. So I hadn't planned to stay up super late Saturday night, but it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> um. So, also this week, uh, a new game called SnowRunner came out, which I guess is a iteration of Spin Tires and then MudRunner. Yes. Which I never really played those, but they're I didn't really know about them until I heard about SnowRunner. And we had a couple of friends that know about them.
1: Well, I, I played so- Spin Tires back when that first came out, and I was never a fan of it. It's a super,
0: super hard and, like, fiddly four-wheel drive truck game. So it's literally, like, actual off-roading, where it, going as fast as possible will ruin your day. Right. So you have to, like, go around the map, and you start with this old Chevy pickup truck. So it's cool. All the trucks are, like, super old. And the game has this cool aesthetic. It's really cool looking. And you can do little upgrades to the trucks. You can lift them, put different mud tires on them. You basically just drive around the map, explore things, tow vehicles, rebuild bridges, transport cargo. It's like they call it a sandbox game, right? It's like playing with your trucks in a sandbox.
1: Okay.
0: Is the best way to describe it. I don't know. It's super slow, but like kind of relaxing a little bit. Especially for and like a change of pace how intense though? like what's that? It's enjoyable though. I found it enjoyable, especially from going how crazy like dirt is sometimes where you're trying to drive really fast and then just man. Sometimes the dirt in dirt like
1: fourth or fifth stage, I'm just like, can this just be over? Exactly. Like I'm done. It's pretty hard. Yeah.
0: Uh, especially now with the wheel, like I'll I'll get sweaty.
1: Yeah, I bet. <laughs>
0: um but and then I've been playing a lot of Modern Warfare, too, so that can be kind of frustrating. So this, just like the slow, totally nonviolent, like just put around literally kind of like a going to work game. Like, oh, I got to go to work and transport this cargo. Like, <laughs> Right. And I think that's part of the reason I
1: have a problem with thinking I'm going to enjoy it. I don't know. It's not for everyone, but it's kind of fun. And I get my, one of my biggest problems with spin tires was it wasn't very, I don't know, it didn't feel correct. Uh, it just felt like a very arcadey, um with no real point. You had to like, I remember doing this like checkpoints, checkpoint kind of thing. It wasn't like a race, but it was like, it was timed, but you couldn't go too fast and it just didn't feel right. It just felt like,
0: oh no, this doesn't have that. This is just like pick stuff up, move it over there. So like, I don't know if you're like me, if you were like playing with Legos or playing with trucks as a kid, where you would try to do stuff that was like real world with them. Of course. In your little kid imagination. So that, that's what that, this feels like to me. Okay. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. It's, it's playing with trucks without having to use imagination. Yeah. Because as yeah, adults, exactly. we don't have very good imagination. And if you play no. the trucks on the ground like you were a child, you'd probably be committed.
0: Yeah. It's also like a really pretty game. Yeah, the screenshot oh, totally, would with- Oh, I'm totally playing with the uh, the brooder trucks. So. Um,
1: well, yeah, you have a baby now. You can play the toys again, and it's okay. Oh, yeah. 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 So, so getting into
0: scale, uh, blah, blah, scale project car updates, um, I'm sure I'm going to be talking about these at some point. Uh, brooder trucks, which are like. One sixteen scale, yeah, about that. Like super accurate, but yet toy tough.
1: Yeah, trucks. They're pretty cool. Look them up if you don't know what they are. Yeah, if you have a person um, to buy toy trucks for, and you have a little bit of a budget, more than Hot Wheels car, a lot more than Hot Wheels car, you should. Have like, almost, I think they're like eighty to one hundred dollars, depending. But they're worth um, it when you see them. Yeah, that's the only why.
0: I know that my nephew has a couple, and I've seen my friend. My friend's kid has a couple. I mean, they play with them hard and they don't really break. Yeah. Like maybe there's like little pieces like the mirrors might break off, but you you can buy replacements. But generally, like I, I watched a kid like riding in the bed of one, like yeah. in the dump truck part. Like <laughs> like a his knee in it. Like, yeah, he had his knee in it, like wheeling around the floor, and the thing didn't break. So yeah. Yeah.
1: they're pretty ridiculous. Yeah, they're pretty good. It's half the reason to have a kid so you can play with toys again, isn't it? That's right. Yeah um and
0: claim they're for him but they're actually for me oh absolutely um so yeah what have you been doing to uh scale project
1: cars i've been like like running through them pretty quickly (laughs) um i think i talked about the datsun pickup uh i finished that a few weeks ago i finished that 1950 chevy pickup truck kit that i was working on um i actually posted pictures of both of those to our page on instagram and facebook um and I've moved on to something a little bit more hour speed, um, the Tommy MacKinnon Evo 6 from Tamiya. It's so 124th scale version of the 1999 New Zealand WRC round winner. Um, it's the all red with the typical Tommy MacKinnon stripes that go off the fender and hood and down the side of the car. Yeah. The,
0: instead of Marlboro, it says Mackinac. It says Tom, Tommy.
1: Tommy. Yeah, because in New Zealand, they didn't run the Marlboro or the cigarettes logos. They couldn't run them there. That car is actually in Dirt Rally 2. It I is. It, driving and, it. I and I've that, driven it and wrecked it in New Zealand. Yes. I think that is part of the reason I picked that kit up next because we've been playing Dirt so much and it's my favorite, like probably one of my favorite modern era cars in the game. So, it's uh, it's already come along pretty well. I started working on it yesterday and I already have the entire uh, chassis done, the suspension's all done, uh, brakes are all on, it's, it's ready to build build the roll cage on top and, and finish the body up. So it should only be, I don't know, a week or so it'll be all done probably. <laughs> if all goes according to plan. This whole not going anywhere and doing things led plenty of time for model building, so. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's been good. So that's how I'm doing my, uh, not having actual car time as I've done model cars and video games and watching a lot of car programming. So. Awesome. Anything else? Uh, car movies. Oh yeah. I watched two movies that I haven't seen since I was a child. Okay. Um, and I would recommend watching the first movie in the smoking the bandit series as an adult.
0: Oh yeah. I've seen it recently as an adult, but I would not
1: recommend watching the second movie as an adult. Second one doesn't make any sense. It does not make any sense. It is horribly bad. Um, and the storyline is forced and the acting is terrible and the stunts are terrible. Um, and you should unless unless you just want to laugh at the movie, not with the movie. That is the only reason to watch Smoking in the Bandit 2. But we were actually trying to thinking about what to watch the other day, and we went through an old um like a sleeve of DVDs with like, you know. 200 movies in it and uh, we pulled it out with a, and Naomi actually suggested we watch it like hey let's watch Smoking the Bandit that's fun I was like alright that's pretty light like we don't have to think about that we can watch that easily and it was so entertaining that I was like you know what I'm going to watch the second one and uh, instant regret there's a third one on the disc too but I think that's probably oh, the first and the second one so the only bright spot in Smoking the Bandit 2 is Dom is in it oh Oh, and, yeah. and I do enjoy Dom, De, Dom DeLuise because he was a favorite of mine as a child because his humor is, like, perfect for a 10-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he he was the only entertaining thing in that entire movie. It was really bad. Really I bad. I watched, uh, watched Stuber the other night. What was that? you watched Stuber. I don't know what that is.
0: Uh, it came out last year. It's got... Um, the guy that plays, oh, he's in Guardians of the Galaxy. Plays the big jack dude
1: who's a wrestler. Oh, yeah, he's like, a, he's like a private detective or something.
0: He's a, he's a LAPD cop. Oh, he's a cop, okay. Uh, he gets laser surgery, LASIK surgery, so he can't see. But he's kind of clueless, so his like, daughter shows him how to use Uber, so he gets his Uber driver, and it's uh, Camille Nunjabi. And it's basically, just, it's your standard buddy, buddy cop movie comedy. You really don't have to think about it at all. It's decently funny. Dave Batista. Yeah, Dave Batista. It's a half hour. It's on HBO. It's only a half hour? Uh, no, Not a half hour. Sorry, hour, hour and a half. half. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really short movie. <laughs> yeah, just you put it on. You don't have to think very hard about it. It's got some funny parts.
1: No, I don't have HBO, so I won't be doing that anytime soon. Yeah. Unfortunately, but there's plenty of other content out there to watch. We have a few movies to watch. I still need to watch um, the Jackie Chan movie, Thunderbolts.
0: Yeah. Oh, speaking of car chases, um, I watched Extraction on Netflix. Okay. Awesome car chase in it through uh, Streets of India. And I must somehow ended up following, I think years ago, like, one of the stunt drivers or one of the cinematographers that worked on the movie because he had posted behind the scene footage on his Instagram. Okay. And they had like, did this really cool thing where the the stuff was like handheld. So it looked like a WRX that they had the camera guy strapped to the hood of the WRX and they're chasing. It's like a Mercedes 200 series or where the hell it is, you know, mid two thousands or something. Okay. Uh, chasing it through the streets of india like like a c-class yeah and then they come to a stop and he like quickly unbuckles and then goes into a handheld run with the camera like up to the the driver's window it's like super cool the way they filmed it so it's worth
1: it that was officially the first baby cry on the auto atomic podcast (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's almost
0: bedtime for him. I've got the door open up here.
1: 12 minute one shot action sequence. That's from Extraction, it says. I was looking at yep. a picture of the car. So that sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, big, cool. it's bigger than a C class. It looks like it's a. I don't know. I can't tell from that picture.
0: It's worth a watch. Yeah. I'll give it a watch. That's really cool. Um, So, yeah. With that being said.
1: And- speaking, speaking of car chases, real quick. Did you yeah. know that um, Steve McQueen's son recreated the car chase like two years ago in San Francisco with a 68 Mustang. Uh, I believe I did. Oh, I had no idea. I found that out the other day. I'm a little disappointed because it was a gas Monkey garage build and he got to ride as the passenger in the bad guy car, which is a modern uh, challenger. Um, But it was cool because the stunt driver was, um, Oh Yeah. Formula Drift driver, not Tanner Faust, the redheaded kid, tall skinny one. No, I can't think of his name.
0: Samuel Hubernet. No.
1: Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, it was it, it was an entertaining five minutes. It's not very good. It was obviously, it, it just a uh, an interesting thought that I had because I just saw it on TV the other day. Um, it was neat to see in modern times because they did. The 68 Mustang they built to look exactly like the one from Bullet. They had a black modern Dodge Challenger, which I think the Challenger is the two door, right? Not the Charger. Whichever one the two door is, Challenger. Um, but they really played off the original because they had a green, it was all modern cars, except they had a green Volkswagen Beetle that was just like in like every other scene because right. it was in the original movie. So that was kind of neat. But if, if you see it on YouTube, I'd say, you know, give it a five minute watch. It's entertaining, but it's not worth any more than that. Just a thought. That's all. All right. Cool. So, that sounds like an episode to me. Works for me.
0: All right. Well, they can find us uh, out Off Topic Podcasts on Facebook, on Off Topic on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram, Race and Anger. And Brad, where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at TSI SS350. Cool. As always, keep your cars analog. And aim for the roses.